Acts the 13th chapter. We'll begin reading with the 38th verse. Acts 13, beginning in verse number 38. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. When you think about that, isn't it an incredible thing? I mean, imagine if you did not have the Spirit of God to give you wisdom, to impart unto you understanding about who this man is the Lord Jesus Christ is, that He is indeed the Son of God, that He is indeed the one appointed by God to be a sacrifice and to offer Himself as an atonement for our sins. Imagine if you did not have that understanding, be it by God's Word written unto us or be it by the Spirit opening your understanding for the most part to receive those things. I want you to imagine this morning what that would be like. It would be an incredible thing for someone to tell you this news. For someone to explain to you, to seek, to have you to understand that there is something that you have done to offend the Almighty God. You have sinned and transgressed in His sight, broken His laws and commandments, and there's only one way to be made right with Him. And it is through His only begotten Son, whom He has given to be an offering for our souls, so that we might be redeemed. It'd be an incredible thing. And something that we would not believe if it were not for the Spirit of God imparting unto us understanding and wisdom. So he says, by this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Verse 39, he says, by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And here are those who had been given the law, who had been given what Moses was delivered upon the mountain. God wrote in stone with his own finger these commands that they were to abide and live by. And now someone's coming and telling them that they cannot be justified in that way, that it must be through Christ. Now there were those, and Brooke and Tim and I were having a discussion last Lord's Day after services, and I mentioned something about this. We were talking about this to some degree. I mean, here, here are people who, as far as they understood because they could only look at things from a natural perspective, from with a natural mind, that in and of itself is at enmity with God, according to Romans, where we've been on Wednesday nights. Here are people who have the law, and they're trying to uphold this law and live by this law outwardly, and they think that they can actually do this. I mean, there were Pharisees that they, they, they felt like they could live that way. They could actually abide by the commandments, not transgress any of them. Paul confesses it himself when he says that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was circumcised, you know, the eighth day. That he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And regarding the law, he was blameless, it said. There was nothing within him, in his conscience, that condemned him for what he was setting forth there. He thought that he had kept it and abided by it all. And he's telling them that they cannot be justified by the law of Moses. There were others though, and this is what Tim and Brooke and I were talking about, who from the beginning, like Abel, Hebrews says he offered a more acceptable sacrifice than his brother Cain. God how did he know to offer a lamb? How did he know to slay a lamb and offer it as a sacrifice for his sins? How did he come by that understanding? Who had preached that unto him? 
God had imparted that wisdom unto him. God had given him that understanding. Something his brother Cain did not possess, though he may have heard it. He may have heard the same words, just like we have aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, friends, family, different sort, that have heard the same words that we have. And yet, they do not believe. They will not believe. They even despise what we hold to, hold dear, and believe ourselves. But there were those who looked at those sacrifices that God had appointed. They saw themselves even then before Paul penned the words and said, All has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They saw themselves in that light. And they offered those sacrifices looking unto Christ's coming. Just as we look back and him having had already, he's already come. We look back at his sacrifice. They looked towards his sacrifice. They looked towards him coming and offering himself. And this lamb is a picture of that. I am offering this unto you, Father, because this is a picture of the true sacrifice that shall come. You've appointed this until that time. Now that Christ has come, we need no other sacrifice for our sins. We need no outward show. It has been done outwardly. It has been done openly. It wasn't done in a corner, the Bible says. By him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, in verse number 40, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Which he quotes there in verse 41, Behold, you despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Same sort of thing that Peter said in Acts chapter 3. When he was speaking unto those very people who had crucified our Lord with their own hands. He says in verses 18 through 26, Those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. And he tells them to repent and be converted, that their sins may be blotted out. He goes on to tell them that a prophet like unto Moses shall the Lord raise from among them him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say. And it shall come to pass that every soul which shall not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So in verse 42 we see the Jews were gone out of the synagogue. They've spoken. They've said what the Lord had given them to say, what was laid upon their heart. They preached their message. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, considering these things, thinking upon these things, some already rejecting them, saying, Phew, you know, I've already heard about this from Jerusalem. You know, I've heard about you people, you, you, you sect of people called the way. You know, I've, I've heard about you and we're, I'm, I just, I'm not going to receive what, you, what you're saying here. I just, it's not for me. There's no other way for me to be justified but through Moses. Through the law that was given unto him. So when they went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles, there are some who despise and there are some who receive. Look what it says there in verse 42. The Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Here you are. You were here last Sunday, some of you, and you're here back this Sunday, desiring that these words might be preached unto you again. Other people who may have come, um, and they're not here this Sunday, saying, yeah, that's not for me. I don't want to hear that again. So this is not just curiosity that they besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. That word actually, that word besought there means begged. They actually begged that these words should be preached to them the next Sabbath. That we had such a heart. That we would beg that the word of God might be preached unto us again next Sunday or next Wednesday. Stark contrast from the end of the scene that we'll see where the Jews stir up the people to cast Paul and Barnabas out of the city. Verse 43 says, When the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. God had them there for a purpose. There was a people that would hear. Verse 44 says, The next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. You know, that what reminded me when I read that of the stories that I've read about George Whitfield when he would come to different places, different towns, people would see him riding through the town and they would close their shop doors 
and go to whatever field and gather around whatever tree stump that he was standing on to hear the word of God preached. I mean, the whole town would just shut down and they would go and hear the word of God being proclaimed. That's the sort of thing that you really see going on here in verse number 44. Some had shut the doors of their businesses to come and blaspheme the word of God being proclaimed here in our text. Others had come because they were beseeching, they were begging that these words might be preached again unto them. Acts, I mean, verse 45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, you know, the Jews were looking at this scene. They see all these people gathered together to come and hear. And they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And this is an equally incredible thing. Like I talked about before, at the very beginning, the first verse there, where if we didn't have the Spirit of God, what an incredible message this would be unto us. This is an equally incredible thing here that men would be so envious and despise the truth to such a degree that they would blaspheme, rail upon, vilify, speak evil of the name of Christ. As the scriptures say, crucifying to themselves the Son of God afresh. If he was there, they despised him to the degree. If he had been there in their midst, they would have crucified him themselves. Putting him to an open shame. Verse 46 says, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing that you put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Judging themselves unworthy of everlasting life. He says, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. The Gentiles heard it and, and rejoiced in it, glorified God in it. Verse 49 says, The word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews, in verse 50, stirred up the devout and honorable men and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. In response, it says that Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. Now this wasn't out of anger that they did this. They didn't shake off the dust of their feet in their presence. I mean, you can see them taking off their sandals and just clapping them together. Just like you've probably done before when you get mud in your tennis shoes. You know, you just smack them together to get the, the mud out of the, or the creases and crevices. It was not an act of anger, but it was one of judgment. He says, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. You despise the Son of God. We shake off the very dust of our feet as a testimony against you. There will there'll come a day when they stand before God in judgment. And, and that in itself will be a testimony against them. In verse 52, it says, The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. I mean, here these men were where the Lord had sent them. I mean, you look at the scene and you think, wouldn't it have been great if they all had received the Word of God? Wouldn't it have been grand and marvelous if None of them had despised the word. But that's not the case. When the gospel is preached, there's always going to be those who receive it and there's going to be those who reject it. And there's no in-between ground. There are those who rejoice over the hearing of the word of God and those that are like, eh, I could do without that. I could have you know, been sitting in front of the TV or out on the lake or in the woods or whatever. I could have been doing something else. They would, might not would put it in the terms of despising the word of God but if you don't love it, if you don't rejoice in it, if, if you don't feed upon it, if it is not life unto you, then you do despise it. That's the only thing you can do. If you don't receive it, you despise it. And here are these men glorifying the Lord, filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost, knowing God's at work here. There are some that despised his word. But all we can do is proclaim it. We can't make people receive it. All we can do is proclaim it. And it has to fall where it falls. 
They were glorifying the Lord. They had peace and joy within their hearts, filled with the Holy Ghost, doing the work that the Lord had given them to do. Uh, you can be seated. I know I kept you standing longer than normal. I stand up here a lot longer than that. It doesn't seem like that to me, though, because I'm uh, energized with what I'm doing here. I mean, I'm not that you shouldn't be energized with what you're hearing, but uh, I'm standing here because this is where I, I have to stand here so you can see me and you can hear me. You can sit down in that comfortable pew and the bench there and listen. Hopefully I'll fall asleep. So Paul tells these men that they had misplaced their trust in being, as is said in so many places, Abraham's seed. You know, we're of the seed of Abraham. We're Abraham's children. That's where our trust is. That's where our hope is. Brooke, kind of, you kind of asked me along those lines a question like that about the Jews being saved. You know, all of Israel being converted. And we were talking a little bit about that and talked about the fact that there's only one way anybody's going to be saved, Jew or Gentile, and that is through Christ. There's only one way appointed whereby men must be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And that is what he is saying here in our first verse. There in verse 38, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, there's only one way, this man, only one, this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. doesn't matter that you're of Abraham's seed. It's through this man. doesn't matter that your parents are Christians. It's through this man. It doesn't matter that you, you know, whatever good you may have done, it's through this man. How good you may feel that you are. It's through this man. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They looked to the law of Moses for justification. They waited for the seed of David, the Messiah that was to come. And they rejected Christ when he came. It wasn't their idea of who the Messiah should be. He didn't look like the Messiah to them. He didn't act like the Messiah to them. He didn't do what they thought the Messiah should do. They misunderstood. They misplaced their hopes and trust. They didn't just humble themselves before him and say, Lord, whatever. Like we sang that hymn this morning. Let him have his way with thee. Lord, whatever it is that you would have me to do, whatever it is that you would do with me, have your way with me. It doesn't matter to me as long as I'm yours. You know, that, that wasn't their heart. Their heart was, you're, you've come and you're... You know, we thought you were going to be king. We thought you would establish yourself as the ruler over Israel and you would expel all of our enemies out of our coast and you would expand our borders and, and we would reign with you forever. It wasn't their idea. So they rejected him. Paul says, Be it known unto you that this man that you've rejected, this man that you've despised, that through this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is preached unto you forgiveness of sins. Whatever a man's hope may be in, whatever he hangs his hat on for acceptance in the sight of God, it will not be approved outside of this man. It's basically what he's telling them. Outside of him, birthrights, riches, sacrifices, means nothing. Outside of Christ. What, what did all the blood of bulls and goats and lambs that were offered by these people mean in the sight of God outside of faith in Christ nothing nothing was it acceptable in his sight no is it acceptable in the sight of God for a person to offer a sacrifice and just go on sinning and use the sacrifice as an excuse to sin that's how most of them were many of their hearts were like this and people justify themselves the same way today <clears throat> they get up drag themselves out of bed, put on their Sunday best, and they come to church just to satisfy their conscience and feel like that that justifies them somehow by doing that and go through such an effort. God, for you, I come here to church to listen to what the preacher has to say and to sing and uh, you know, rub elbows with 
some of the people here and look what I've done. I mean, this is such, it really is a great effort for me. I had, there are other things that I could have done, much more important things, but I sacrificed all of that to come to church and then go and live like hell the rest of the week. You know, that's, that's not acceptable in the sight of God. God doesn't receive that. It's through this man, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way that a man might be saved. Through this man is proclaimed freedom. Pardon. That's what he's saying here. Through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. That's what forgiveness, that's what's attached to it. That's what that word has the meaning of. Freedom. Freedom from our past deeds. Freedom from our transgressions. Freedom from our sins that we've committed against God. Freedom and pardon from the offense. That's what sins, sin carries the idea of. It's an offense in the sight of God. It stinks in his nostrils. It is offensive for him to look at. It's offensive for him to observe. It's an amazing thing for me to think about all that God sees and hears for him not to do like he did when he flooded the world and just consume it all because of all the wickedness in the hearts of men. Why not? Because his people. What's keeping this, this wretched place alive from being consumed with the judgment of God? It's his people. It's those whom he has appointed unto salvation. It's his people. It's the only thing. If it were not for the redeemed, it'd all be consumed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it would be consumed. Burn up. It's offensive. Sin is offensive in the sight of God. But he says here, by him. That is exclusive. You look at that, what he says there. By him. In verse 39. Through this man, in verse 38. By him, all that believe are justified. That's exclusive. There's no other way to be justified. There's no other way to be saved except by Him. By Him. No other way. It's exclusive. By Him all that believe are justified. That's inclusive. The only ones who are included in this group of justified people are the ones who believe in Him. Now that word exclusive carries the meaning of having the power of preventing entrance. I thought about those people who in that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this or that in thy name? Say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Barring entrance unto them. Because their faith was in the things that they did in his name and not in him. It's by our deeds. It's what we do in your sight that we should be justified. I've done more good than I've done bad. Therefore, you, you have to grant me entrance. In it. no. He doesn't. It's by Him. He's the door. There's only one way in and it's through Him. All that believe. The blood of Christ encircling all that believe. Them being justified from all things. All the things that you've done. All the wicked and ungodly things that you've thought. All the ungodly deeds that you've committed. What a remarkable thing that we can be forgiven for those things. What an incredible salvation that we can be pardoned, that we can be free from the guilt and the condemnation, that we can be free from the wrath of God for all the things that you've done. I don't know what you've done. I know what I've done. I don't know what you've done. You've probably done some of the same things I've done. All things. By Him all that believe are justified from all things. Isn't that good news? Isn't that wonderful news? Being justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. We could say from which you could not be justified from whatever other means that you think that you could have acceptability in the sight of God because you've been baptized, you know, because you've said some little prayer that somebody told you to pray because you have your name upon the membership roster, you know, there in the membership book 
because you've never missed a Sunday, you know, because you make it to all the Wednesday night services. If we had Sunday night services, you come to all those too. I mean, you're always there. If the door's open, you're there. That somehow, some way, some of those things might grant you some acceptability in the sight of God. No. None. Only one way. It's through Christ. Faith in Him. Got to get rid of all those sorts of ideas that we can be accepted inside of God outside of Christ. That we can do anything. That Andrew, you and Rebecca, that you could say, well, because my dad's a preacher, God's got to save me. No, He doesn't. But if you want to be saved, there's only one way. It's through Christ. You've got to cast yourself upon Him. To justify means to pardon and clear from guilt and accept as righteous that God could wipe over all of our past deeds. I mean, there they were. They were all written down. They were all recorded. They were all stacked up against us. They all would come out upon the day of judgment. All those things. And they all be blotted out. You know, we use whiteout. We've even got it in nice little wheels now that you just drag across the page. And it's gone. It's erased. Now, I can take that page and turn it over and still see it on the back side, but it's better than that. It's gone forever. It's cast as far as the east is from the west. It's not even in the mind of God anymore. It's removed. He looks at you and He sees Christ. He looks at you and He sees acceptability in His sight. He looks at you and He sees the righteousness of His Son. He sees the perfect life that He lived. He sees no sin. He sees no stain. He sees you perfectly white, pure, spotless, acceptable in His sight. That's what justified means. Apart from Him, apart from Christ and His righteousness and His atonement, what does God see? It's a hideous thing. I can remember seeing uh, the, the thought just comes to my mind uh, I hope nobody's offended by it but <clears throat> I remember seeing pictures of the lungs of people who smoke when I was in high school they show you lots of things and it was all black and you think about that lung should be red and it should have those blue beautiful veins running through it the way that God designed it and it should be functioning perfectly and healthy and normal and then you see this that's been infected by the cigarette smoke and it's black and it's dark and it's ugly and it doesn't function the way that it's supposed to. And sin's like that. I don't know if you remember seeing those pictures or not. Tim Brooks, y'all see those pictures when y'all were in school? I remember showing them to me. It's what God sees. God looks and He sees this ugly, dark, wicked, black thing. When he sees someone outside of Christ. Someone, in other words, what I'm saying in is outside of Christ. Because I want you to get the idea that he's... Because before, before we came to accept him, he knew us. We were his. He saw us in Christ even then. He preserved us. And he ordered and ordained our lives the way that they would turn out and the people that we would come into contact with and the parents that we would be born to and the places where we'd hear the gospel preached. He ordained all of that. And he saw us in Christ, the Lamb slain before the world began. I'm talking about these who despise God, who despise his Son. That blackness, that darkness, that rejection. Paul tells them that this man's death at the hands of wicked men who slandered and profaned the spotless Lamb of God, he says this was all done. This was all done by the perfect will of God, though not without guilt to those who carried out the deed. Look what he says there. 
You can see it in verses 38 and 39. Talking about through this man is preached unto you forgiveness of sins. That through this man all who believe are justified from all things. Through this man whom you took with wicked hands and slew. Through this man is preached unto you forgiveness of sins. What an incredible thought that must have been for some of those that were actually there to see the sight. To actually see our Lord nailed to the tree and crucified. Who actually yelled out, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! For someone to tell them now that that man whom they gave up, that man whom they railed upon, that man whom they reviled, that man whom they spake evil against, that that man was their Savior. And that even though they did it with wicked and evil design, that God allowed it for His own purpose. That we might have forgiveness, freedom, atonement for our sins. But there were those there listening that would not believe. They despised Him. They despised the message of Paul and Barnabas. They forsook him. They forsook the message of Paul and Barnabas. They crucified him. They crucified that word unto them. That's not for me. Put that to death. That's Israel's history. That's in Israel's history. They crucified the Lord of glory. That's in the history of Rome. They crucified the Lord of glory. But it's not only in their history, it's in the history of multitudes of people that have lived throughout the ages who weren't there to actually be ones to voice those words because they've done it in their hearts. It's just like some of these people that were there. Maybe they hadn't been upon the scene. Maybe they hadn't actually hollered out, crucify him. But now in rejecting the message, they were doing the same. They despised the Lord's gift of life. It was in their hearts to crucify Him. To these Paul speaks, Beware. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Verse number 40. And he tells us in verse 41 what the prophet said, Behold, you despisers, behold, and wonder, and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. It was declared unto them. They didn't believe it. It was done in their sight. They didn't believe it. That word despisers there means sliding as vile. Just like the picture that I gave you a while ago of what God sees as the sinful heart to be. That's the way they looked at Christ. They despised Him. As something vile, as something despicable, something to be neglected, something to be rejected, something to be avoided. Something unworthy of regard. He says unto them, marvel and perish. Wonder at this and perish. Reject this and perish. The fact that they rejected what was spoken was not because it was not credible. There are many who had seen. Many who knew. It was a credible account. It happened in their own time. It wasn't that there wasn't proof set before them. And Paul, from their own scriptures, reasoned with them that this is the Messiah. Through this man is preached forgiveness of sins. Paul set before them life and death. And when the gospel is preached, that's what's set before people. Life and death. Reject, despise, eternal death. Receive, 
believe, cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation and acceptance in God's sight, life. You would think that men who die, men that fear death, would listen to what God is saying here in regards to eternal life. Ezekiel 18, 30-32 says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his way, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. Turn yourselves and live. That's God's heart towards people. Turn and live. I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth. Why will you die? Why will you not receive? Why will you not accept? Why will you despise? Why will you reject? Why will you refuse? The Lord Jesus Christ who delivers us not only from death, but delivers us from the penalty of death. Delivers us from all of our transgressions and wipes them all away. There are despisers today just like there were despisers then. People who refuse Christ today just like people refuse Christ then. You got up this morning, you got ready. Some of you drove great distances to come here. And people who may know you may have wondered. Just like when I was talking about it, Martha talking about her son-in-law. She saying, I can't go to the football game with you tomorrow, guys. I'm going to church. They look at you and they despise what you stand for. They despise what you're going to do. They despise what you're going to hear. They reject it. They don't want to receive it. They wonder at you. Why do you waste your time? And this is what Paul's saying here. That the prophet said, Behold, you despisers, wonder. Wonder why they waste their time. Wonder why they commit themselves to Christ. Wonder why they do these things. Wonder at it in the sense that you reject it and can't... You know, why waste your time? Sort of an idea. Wonder at it in that sense. Wonder at it and reject it. And perish. That word means to be consumed. Our God is a consuming fire, the Bible says. Judgment will consume them. To them it's a marvel. They can't see themselves doing what you do this morning. They can't see themselves coming here to hear the word of God preached. They, just, they wonder at it. They marvel at it. They choose to occupy themselves with other things and despise coming here. That's why the place is not full. That's why there are not people in all of these places, these empty places. They despise coming here. Wouldn't it be good to see people like these Gentiles wanting more and more, as some of you? That's how I see you. That's how I see you coming here week after week, wanting more, I see you like these Gentiles here. I see you like them saying, will you preach these things again unto us next Lord's Day? Will you speak unto us again about these things? Wouldn't it be good to see more and more people like that? We can't avoid the truth of verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. The implication here is that some of these people were appointed to eternal life, that they were the elect, and that's why they believed. And that bothers some people. To think about the idea of election it doesn't seem right to them. 
but it's like Tim and Brooke and I were talking about last Sunday. It's not, why doesn't God appoint more? It's why should he appoint any? Because all are despisers. All are rejectors. God has done no injustice here. They do not believe, not because they were not appointed. The idea that people have that does not seem to fit this idea that God appoints some and rejects others, that God appoints some to salvation and points some to heaven and he appoints some to damnation and appoints some to hell. That's inconsistent with the word of God. God's not keeping them out. People that you know that despise what you're doing today, God's not keeping them out. God's not rejecting them, keeping them out. God's not holding them back. That's the kind of idea that the that the world would put upon election. That's the kind of idea that the devil would put in your mind about election. God's not keeping them out. They're keeping themselves out. They don't want to hear. They don't want to come. They don't want to receive. It's not God keeping them out. They do not want to believe. As I said before, everyone makes a choice when they hear the gospel to accept it or reject it. What did he say back there in Ezekiel? Cast away from you your transgressions whereby you have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit for why will you die? Come, the spirit and the bride say. Come and buy without money, without price. It's all been paid for. Salvation is yours full and free. Come and receive. But they despise and reject and will not believe. God doesn't hold them back. God's made all preparation. It's all ready. Men that mocked and beat and scorned our Lord, pulled out his beard, spit in his face, are no different from those who refuse to hear the gospel today. They despise him. The Bible says we cannot serve God and mammon. We'll love the one and despise the other. You make a decision. You either love or you despise. You either receive or you reject. One or the other. Esau despised his birthright. That's a picture of what we're talking about here. For a bowl, let's just call it beans. Esau despised his birthright for a bowl of beans. And this world is after all those other things. And they're despising this. It's like we looked there in Psalm 49 this morning and we saw the, the rich man in his pomp and his glory. And then we see him in his death. He can't take it with him. And he looked at this and said, no, thanks guys. You know, I'm enjoying all these other things way too much more than that. He loves those things and despises the gospel. He dies and he can't take any of that with him. But the Christian, he loves the gospel. He loves God's word. He loves God's people. He loves to hear the word of God proclaimed. He loves the things of God. And would rather have those things than the things of this world. And he does take it with him. When he dies. Look at 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Here are despisers described. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. This know also. Then in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. There's that word despised there. They despise what you stand for. They despise what you are doing. They despise what your hope is in. Traitors, heady, high-minded, 
lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, feel like they can be justified and accepted in God's sight some other way, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, denying Christ, denying the only way, from such turn away. From such, you know, shake the, shake the dust of your shoes off. From such turn away. They judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. They made a choice. These people went so far to align themselves. They went so far as to align themselves with powerful people in the city. The Jews did. The despisers did. They aligned themselves with powerful people in the city to cast Paul and Barnabas out of their coasts, out of their city. They enlisted help from others to cast them out. It's not that the despiser wonders about salvation in the sense when it, we use that word wonder there. They wonder at why you do what you do. It's not that they're wondering about salvation and they want to know, they want to receive Christ, they, they, they want to come to Him, but God's just keeping them back. That's not the sense in which they wonder. It's not that the despiser wonders about salvation in the sense that he wants to know it, wants to be saved, but God just won't let him no, that's the sort of idea that the devil would put in people's minds. That's the way that the world looks at God. But it brings no honor unto God, and it does not accurately display his character. No, the only wondering the despiser does is wonder why you waste your time listening to such nonsense. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block, the Bible says. And to the Greek, to the despisers on both sides, Jew and Gentile, to the Jew a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness and they will perish in their unbelief because they will not receive, they will not come that they might have life. The Lord stretching out his arm saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together as a hen up her chicks, but you would not. They despise. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1, and I'll try to quickly wrap this up. Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 20. Here's the gospel. Here is wisdom. Here's the word of God being proclaimed by men like Paul and Barnabas, by people like you, witnessing and testifying to those around you. Proverbs 1.20 says, Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. God is, God is reproving them. God is, here they are while they're still living. They still have breath within those blackened lungs. And that black heart still pumps blood through it. God saying, turn you at my reproof. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn you at my reproof. And behold, if you'll turn, behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called. I've called and I've called and I've called and I've called. And you have refused. I have stretched out my hand and you have not regarded. You have set at naught all my counsel. You wouldn't have any of my reproof. Look at verse 26. This is shocking. You've probably read this before. And it's probably shocked you. God says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish, co anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they will not find me. For they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. They despised, there's that word despised again, all of my reproof. 
Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whosoever hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Now, I want you to understand when God says that he will laugh at their calamity and he will mock when their fear cometh and that when fear cometh as desolation and destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you and you call upon me, I will not answer. He's not talking about if there were somebody right here, right now, who were hearing the sound of my voice, who were hearing the gospel proclaimed, and they wanted to repent and turn unto the Lord. The Lord would say, ha, no, you wouldn't have me the last time I talked to you. I'm not having you now. That's not the idea here. The idea here is, and that's why I read Psalm 49, talking about death, talking about the rich man who dies, and he can't take it with him, but that the poor man, and as far as things in this world are concerned, who's rich in Christ, even if he has great earthly riches, those still are not what he regards. If God has blessed him abundantly, he doesn't regard those things. He regards Christ as greater riches. He's like Moses. Moses had all of Egypt. He was Pharaoh's son. But it says he despised those riches for Christ. He might suffer with God's people. He despised those riches. Walked away from them. He despised those things. He had everything. He, the silver spoon was in his mouth. But he despised that and chose Christ. He's not saying here that someone wants to believe, wants to come, and God says, no, he laughs at them and scorns them and rebukes them and says, I'm not going to have any of you. He's talking about a person who's passed from this life into eternity outside of Christ, who despised all of his days the words of God's reproof, who despised all of his days the preaching of the gospel, who despised all of his days any of God's people that he came into contact with that preached the gospel unto him and tried to be a witness and a testimony or whom he saw go through things and their trust was in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saw God deliver them with a, with a, a high hand, with a mighty arm, bring them out of their circumstances, justify them in the sight of those who were accusing them or whatever it may have been. They despised and rejected all of that all of their lives and now they've come before God and they see I'm in trouble. My sins I still bear. And there's no way out for me. That's the sort of man that we have here. That now, when it's too late, too late like in the ark, when the door of that ark was shut, I mean, Moses for a hundred years preached to those people. For a hundred years proclaimed the gospel to them. And they wouldn't listen to him. And then that door that was too great for Moses or his sons to, to even, even with rope and pulley, if they had had it, to close that door. When God shut it, that was it. And all those people there were outside of the ark when the floodwaters began to come. You know, ankle deep and then knee deep, waist deep, chest deep. Then they were swimming and there was no ground to put their feet upon. Then they wanted in. Too late then. Too late. That's the despiser's attitude towards the wisdom of God, towards God's word, towards the message of the gospel. It's not God's response to them in the land of the living. It's God's response to them in judgment. It's response to the person who's despised the word of God all of his days. This is them standing there before God in death, having refused God's warnings refused God's grace, rejected his salvation, resisted God's rebuke, would not humble themselves before him, even though he was long-suffering with them. They continued to refuse. In life, his countenance was turned towards them, but now in death, it's turned against them. Hebrews 10, 26-31 says, If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy 
who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You think about them sitting, listening to the word proclaimed. Anytime they may have been in a gospel meeting. Every inattention that they gave to any type of, any type of pricking that the Spirit of God had upon their hearts. Every, every willful neglect was another step in the direction of despising the gospel and rejecting it completely. Willfully. So the equation that is produced in the minds of some that God elects some to glory and some to damnation is unscriptural. Taught nowhere in the Bible. God always chooses to life. He always... Election is to life. Why will you die? Come. Come. Again, Ezekiel 33, 11, Say unto them as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn you, turn from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Men are rushing headlong into hell. They are despising God left and right. Willfully, willingly, ignorant of the consequences, rejecting the truth of God's word and despising his grace. But God, who is rich in mercy, saves some. Who are willfully headed that direction. God in his mercy saves some. But he violates the will of none. None. So we ask the question this morning, how is it with you? Are you a despiser of God's grace? Could you do without what you're hearing this morning? Could you really have spent your time somewhere else and been happier than being here? Beware if that sort of a thought is within your heart and mind. For if you persist and continue in that vein of thinking, then you will perish in your unbelief, despising God's grace, rejecting the hand held out, saying, Come unto me, that you might have life. So here the Lord is, it seems like the ark with the door open. The gospel being preached, come in, come in. But there'll come a time when the door is shut and he no longer becomes the door unto life. He becomes the door that shuts people out and into hell. He'll become their judge instead of their savior. It is a mysterious thing and I do not pretend to know we could, de we could debate and talk about election. God says that he's given man a witness. God said he's put his, his fingerprints are all over. We've talked about this before, all over his heart. A man can not be made by God and not know something of his maker. God's provided a witness of himself unto men, but yet they refuse and they reject and they despise. It's not that God's keeping them out. Them, they're keeping themselves out. So don't get that idea. Don't let the devil place that idea in your minds that God's keeping people out. Anybody that would tell you that, you tell them, no, you just despise the grace of God. You will not come that you might have life. You will not turn unto Him. You will not believe. You will not repent. You want to continue in this way. You despise what I stand for. You, you, you reject what I have received. And you're going to perish in your sins if you continue in that way. Some are more outward and bold about their despising than others. But they're all despisers just the same. Amen. Let's stand. Suffice it to say, God keeps none out. They keep themselves out. 
Verse 50 says, The Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They were filled with anger. They were filled with indignation, those that despised. They were filled with rejection. But God's people, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost, including those Gentiles that were there in that city that had despised the message of Paul and Barnabas and cast them out. They were full of joy. And they encouraged them, it says, to continue in the grace of God. Let's pray. Brother Dean, would you pray for us?